So the title of today's message in our Revelation series is this, The Forever Kingdom. I think this is a really important thing for us to understand. Uh, I think we grasp a little bit of the detail of, yes, I'll be with Jesus forever, but we need to really understand what this means and what it looks like. The forever kingdom of God. He has a kingdom, listen to me church, whose rule will never end. Every other king has been defeated or has died. But his kingdom will last forever and ever. In fact, the one major um, enemy that he has, he will be defeated. His kingdom will be defeated. But our God's kingdom will last forever. Amen? Uh, raise your hand. I just have this question this morning as we start the message. Raise your hand if you've ever been in a theater or a drama class in high school. Anybody? Okay. Y'all, y'all play, you were in plays or something, right? Um, I enjoy watching live stage plays. I think that's really awesome. Um, I was never in theater, but I I like to see them. Every well-written story, you say, well, pastor, how's this leading into Revelation chapter 20? I'm getting somewhere. Every well-developed story that's ever been written, has what we call a protagonist and an antagonist. A protagonist, that's the good guy. The antagonist is not your boss or your spouse. Come on, somebody had enough coffee. The antagonist is the bad guy, okay? So in every well-developed story, there are these elements. Think of them like this, the short list that's on the screen in just a second. You recognize these names. Batman is what? The good guy in the story. And the Joker is the antagonist. He's the bad guy. The same thing with Skywalker and Vader. The same thing with Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Uh, You could talk to my wife about, um, I don't know what category of uh, literature that's called, but the 1800s England Mr. Darcy, uh, Pride and Prejudice, whatever. She knows all of the um, enemies and all of the antagonists in all of those books, like Jane Austen and stuff like that. Any well-developed story has the good guy and the bad guy. And in the human drama that's been playing out since the creation of time, the creation of our world, our protagonist in the story is listen to me closely, it is not just God, it is God and all who bear his name. The Bible calls us those who bear his name. It is those who follow him, who have his, if you think about it like this, who have his identity stamped on them. That's why we understand when Genesis talks about being created in the image of God, that we are his image bearers. We're his name bearers. We bear the name of our creator. The antagonist is not just the devil. I want you to understand this human drama, the story of our history. It is not just one kingpin or ruler or, you know, mob boss, if you will. It is the devil as well as all of the cosmic powers of darkness, all of the spiritual forces of evil, and all of their followers. 
that is the antagonist in the story of human history. So when we think about it in that perspective or with that perspective, I want you to understand that the antagonist that we're talking about, again, I jokingly say it's not your wife, your husband, your spouse, um, or your, um, your boss. It is what the Apostle Paul calls in Ephesians, rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness, and spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That realm remains a mystery to many of us. We think about, well, the devil just, you know, he caused me to have a flat tire. No, he didn't. The nail on the side of the road caused you to have a flat tire. Is he happy that you're blaming him? Probably. But listen to me. He is not the one that's the only one at fault. There are other forces at work all who are working with darkness, evil, wickedness. They're in your government. They're in your school board. They're in the clips that you see on the news about mass shootings. Those forces of darkness are not just some little, you know, we just came through Halloween and people dressed up or whatever. It's not just the little red devil with the two horns and the little plastic pitchfork. I'm getting fired up. I'm stuttering. It is more than that. It is everything that stands in opposition to God. A few weeks ago, I talked through that message on Babylon and talked about um, anything that stands in opposition to God being of the other realm, of that evil, darkness, wickedness. And it comes even through things like this into our lives, into our homes, into our daily life. So as we work through the the text today of Revelation 20, I want you to see it from the perspective of a perfectly crafted story, a well-developed story, even with a plot twist that you might not be expecting. In fact, it's the greatest story that's ever been told, and it's our story. That's what's incredible about this. Verse 1 of Revelation chapter 20, it says this, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, listen to me, the villain of the story, the mudslinger, the antagonist, that old serpent. He grabbed him, seized him, the Bible says, and bound him for a thousand years. We'll talk about that time period that's referenced there uh, shortly, but I just want you to understand there's more to the story. Look up at me and listen. There's more to this story than just trying to figure out, is Jesus going to reign for a thousand years starting today? Did he start when he resurrected? When is he going to do it before the tribulation, after the tribulation? Listen, I think we've gotten ourselves onto a wrong track when we're trying to parse all of that. And we've missed out on the bigger details that are in this story. The fact is, God's kingdom will reign forever, not just a thousand years. Can I get an amen? So it says this. Here's where the plot twist comes in. Verse 3, and threw him into a pit and shut it. And sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. I don't know if you've ever come across this place in scripture, but it sure sounds like a plot twist 
to just us who's reading it. Like, why, if we've gone through all of this, has now God allowed him or is going to allow him to be released for a period of time? So I want to give you a couple observations. And if you're taking notes today, there's three or four of them. It matters that the devil has the stage to himself in this part of the story. Revelation, and indeed the Bible, the entirety of the Bible, treats him as an important character in this story. He is not the only one, he is not the main character, but he has an important role in the story. He's not just a supporting cast member. Years ago, they recorded a movie in Old Town, um, Clinton here, and um, they called for extras. They put it out on Facebook and people were sharing it everywhere. They needed some civilians, you know, walking down the street and whatever. That's not who the devil is. He has a main big role, but he is not the only one. And there is one greater than him. Amen. He's not just a supporting cast member. He, so he's shown as the antagonist in our story ever since our beginning. Listen to me. He showed up in the beginning, and what did he do at our very beginning? Think about it for a moment. He deceived. Now, in this expertly crafted story that we're reading and that we're living in, his character will be revealed one more time, and he will deceive, the Bible says, deceive the nations in order to get them to do something, and we'll talk about that shortly. The binding and release of Satan seems to be a plot twist because you would think, yes, bind him up by all means, but release him. What in the world is happening? What is going on? The thought of that just puzzles us. And I think it's important for us to understand why his release is described not only as certain, but necessary. So let me tell you it like this. This is really important and it's pretty much a summary of the entire message. Christ has a forever kingdom that will rule on the earth and we will rule with him forever in, listen to me, in real time, according to scripture. The nations will be reclaimed for God in real time and Christ will return in real time. This is not something imaginary or something that we just kind of put our hope in that helps us kind of escape the turmoil that we're facing here on the earth. It's to help us understand that there is a true forever kingdom that will be established in what we consider a global Eden. Do you remember what the picture was like in Genesis chapter 2 and 3, the beginning of chapter 3, Where God, it says, came to walk in the garden in the cool of the day. He was there to fellowship with his creation. And then we royally messed that up. Adam and Eve messed that up. But I can't just blame them. You messed it up for you and I messed it up for me. So in our redemptive part of the story where we find out that the creator sent his only begotten son in order to become the sin, the the gross things that I've done, the thoughts, all of that stuff. He became sin, the Bible says, so that I could become the righteousness of God and be granted a, a certificate, become a card carrying member of the family of God. 
And what better way to resolve the problem in the story than for us to return to the beginning and never have it be messed up ever again? Read, read ahead in this in the passage and go to chapter 21 and read the description later this week about how John describes what the new Jerusalem and the new earth look like. It looks like Eden. God is doing something that is coming full circle. And I think without getting like super spiritually, you know, hokey pokey, I think that's a message for you in your life in today's day with whatever you're facing, that God is able to turn things around and bring them full circle. Amen? He's able to do it. He's done it dozens, hundreds, thousands, millions of times for people throughout history. And he's done it for us in this very room. That means that there's no shortage to his power and his ability to do it again. Amen? God can bring it full circle. The question is, do you trust him? Amen? So, we're heading towards a restoring or a restoration of Eden. And God, listen to me, this is very important, is currently limiting Satan or the devil, that old serpent. He is currently limiting him in a very specific way. Because... When you look at this, there are people who are in theological circles that are saying, you know, the thousand year reign, it started when Jesus died or it's going to start when he comes back. And there's a lot of confusion and you could buy hundreds and hundreds of books about this. But what I'm going to tell you is this. I believe, according to scripture, if you read through Jesus' ministry, and particularly in Luke chapter 10, if you want to go read that some other time this week, you'll see that he sends out disciples, and they come back, and they're so excited. They say, we just got back. We cast out the devil. It was awesome. Jesus, it was awesome. And Jesus says something incredible. That tells you what he saw while his followers were out there. He says, and I saw Satan fall like lightning. In other words, the establishment of the kingdom of God was starting in the moment of Jesus' ministry on earth. You say, well, how is the devil in chains if you just said that he's active? If Paul tells the believers in Ephesians, guard yourself, arm yourself with the armor of God. How, how is this, how is the devil in prison? I'm telling you there's something specific that he is being limited. He is not being permitted by God to instigate Armageddon. That is the one holdout in the story. He's not able to do that just yet. So you say, well, in this story, which seems incredible, the protagonist, I want to be part of the good guys. Let me be on God's team. I don't want to be on the enemy's side. That's great and awesome. But what is God waiting for to resolve this story and to bring us into his forever kingdom? What is it? I'll tell you what it is. It's simple. It's in Matthew chapter 28. He is waiting for the great commission to be fulfilled so that as many people can join his family as possible before the finality of human history is closed. This is the truth. Remember, God is a family man 
and he's been waiting for people to join his family. Anyone who wants to join his family can join his family. But they have to be, listen to me, invited first. And how can they be invited unless we actually invite them? Unless we tell them about this possibility? And here's the real crux of what I want to get at today. The mandate that was given in Matthew 28, and I'll read it in just a moment. We sometimes, now I've been guilty of it, even if I haven't knowingly thought of it like this. And I know that you have been guilty of it too. We think this applies to missionaries. We think that this applies to pastors. We don't personalize this in the way that we really should. And here's what the mandate is. It says this, the Great Commission is what we call it. In chapter 28 of Matthew, verse 18, Jesus came and said to them something awesome. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Talking about himself being the son of God. And he says, as such, verse 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. To the end of what age? Because Jesus left not long after. I mean, you know what I mean? So here's what I'm getting at. There is an age that we're in right now. This present life that we are living in post Christ life and ministry and waiting for the consummation of the kingdom. And in that time, the devil is being restrained to some degree so that he cannot instigate the battle of Armageddon. So that God's family can grow and be built strong. I want you to think about this though. That mandate is your mandate. I was talking in starting point this morning. We were talking about the Holy Spirit and the fact that we don't see an expiration date for him in scripture. Yes, he helped build the church. And listen to me, he's helping to build this church. He's alive and well. Jesus' own words said, uh, I mean, I'm going to put him in PD's paraphrase, okay? Pastor Dexter's paraphrase. You can't be trusted to be left by yourself, so I'm sending the Holy Spirit. I don't want you left alone. If that's true, then this is true too, that the Holy Spirit wasn't just for the disciples. That means this mandate to go and share is not just for those who died a couple generations ago or a thousand or two thousand years. It's for you and I today. You say, well, pastor, I'm not really all that versed in theology. I don't know what to do if they ask me questions. Pastor, I'm really introverted. I don't, you know what? You have people you talk to. You have people that you influence in your life, regardless of whatever. I'm going to look this way so I don't connect with anybody's face. Regardless of whatever excuse you make, you have this mandate. You say, Pastor, I don't want to be that weirdo that's at work and talking about, you know, God. Well, be the weirdo because God told you to be the weirdo. Amen? Just don't be the weirdo in church. We, You know, we're hesitant to do that. But uh, you can be the weirdo in the world and get them to church. Some of you get that humor, okay? That mandate did not die with Peter, James, John, 
and all those guys. It didn't die with Paul. And listen to me. This is hard for some of us. It isn't still alive when I take my $100 bill and give it to a missionary and tell him, go, go do this. That mandate is for you and I. It's your mandate and mine. Okay, that was a little bit of a soapbox, but there's an important observation in here that we have to understand. The devil is being restrained so that God's family can be enlarged. And if it's not being enlarged, it's not his fault. Okay, I'm moving on. Commentators have many different opinions on Revelation 20. I've got uh, maybe a dozen commentaries probably 10, but close to a dozen commentaries I have looked through throughout this entire series and consulted. I'm going to tell you, every one of them, even those who are in the same theological stance, like have the same theological stance, even those that are in the same family of faith, they differ and there's different opinions about this. So I want to tell you a couple things that I noticed as I go through those commentaries just so that because you might come across these opinions out in the world, in the, not in the world world, but in the Christian world, you'll come across these. Some actually think that John died mid-sentence and that someone else crafted these last two chapters of John. There are actual people that believe in Jesus that write about this. Okay? It's wild and provocative. I do not agree with that at all. I think it's evident that John wrote the entirety of this. Some of the commentators, when you look at Revelation 20 and what they have to say, they treat the devil very dismissively. But by doing so, listen to me closely. By treating the devil dismissively, you play directly into his hand. He should be treated seriously. We should take the word of God seriously. I hope that you know that your pastor does and that this church does that very thing. Some other commentators never even consider the cosmic perspective, like the bigger picture. They just think about humanity and whether it's a thousand years or it's a really long time or whatever. And some pay little or no attention to what the devil's activity is. uh, Or let me say it like this. They don't pay any attention to what the devil's Words are, they've just seen or taken notice of his activities. It's interesting in those first couple verses, how much activity is there from the angel. He grabs him, he binds him, he throws him, he shuts him in, he seals him. We know that in First Peter we're told that the devil is roaring, he's uh, on the prowl like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He is active in this world, there is no doubt. So to dismiss his actions or the words he says, we should not do either one of those. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. Don't believe the lies of the enemy, but you sure better listen to what he says. You better be familiar with how the devil approaches you. He'll deceive you in your marriage and think that you're unloved. He'll deceive you in your classroom with your schoolmates and think and help you think that you're unlovable. Can I go on? 
there's a lot of other places that he still works his deception. And I think we do ourselves a disservice if we're not spiritually tuned in to God's frequency. We'll never understand and pay attention to the attack of the enemy in our life. And he is on the attack. He is on the attack. So, to wrap up the first three verses... An unnamed angel, you're going to read commentaries that say it's got to be Michael. Some say it's Jesus. It's a different language for Jesus. Listen, he's unnamed in Revelation 20. That's what I'm telling you. He seizes, binds, throws, shuts, and seals the devil up so that he cannot deceive and entice the nations to go to war against God. He will be released for a time according to God's divine and sovereign plan. The important detail to focus on is that in the end, God wins and the devil will be gone for good. Go to verse 4. Revelation 20 verse 4 says this. John speaking additional, another part of the vision or piece that he sees, it switches scenes. He says, then I saw thrones and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also... I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded. Pay attention to the language. It said also. So there are thrones. Those seated on them have authority to judge. Also, he saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God. And those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life. And reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Verse 5. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in this first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power. But they will be priests of God and of Christ. And they will reign with him for a thousand years. The only other real referent in scripture about a thousand years specifically that phrase a thousand years is the one that sometimes people refer to out of the old testament uh, as well as referenced in the new that says to god a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as, you know as a day to him so it is very possible listen to me it is very possible that this is figurative language It is very possible. There's evidence for that in Scripture. So for those of us who grew up and understand it to be an actual, physical, 1,000 years, no less, no more, physical thing in that way of exact time, I want you to try to research Scripture and start to really understand the depth of what is actually here, which is that God and his people will reign forever. Amen? Okay, one of you. If I get louder amens, I go faster. Um, So those to whom the authority to judge was committed and those who were martyred for their faith in Christ, the Bible says, reigned with him during the time of the devil's restraint. So they'll be priests of God and of Christ. Here's an observation today, and it's a little bit of a side note. You might think it's a soapbox, but there's a real important point here. So the Great Commission, that's really important. But this other observation comes here in this short passage. The observation is this. 
judgment shouldn't be a touchy subject in church. There's a difference between judging truth and falsehood and being a judgmental person. Thank you. See, he's trying to get to lunch like I am. There's a monumental difference between judging something as correct or incorrect according to a standard, and that's not a human standard, that's a God standard, and being a judgmental person. (laughs) What did you wear today? Oh, you decided to show up without, you know, whatever. Don't be a judgmental person. Don't be that guy. Don't be that woman. But be one who judges. You say, Pastor, but the Bible says, let me tell you what it says. Hallelujah. It says this. You're to judge. And here's who you start with. No, not me. Point to yourself. You. The Bible says, judge yourself. And you know what? If we really did that, it would probably take us a long time. And we might not get to the other three on the list. If we did it right, I'm just saying. But when we get to the other three on the list, they're in order, particular order, for a reason. You start with you. Do you remember the the log and the plank and the eye and the thing Jesus... mm -hmm, You should go back and read that. Who are we to judge? Ourselves first. And then that which is inside the church. Why? The Bible's really clear in the New Testament that we're to offer judgment inside of the church because it helps with accountability of the saints so that we're all living right and living for God. So being called on the carpet is not fun. Anybody ever been called on the carpet, confronted, told, you know what, what you did hurt me? Or whatever the case may be. Listen, that kind of confrontation is not fun. But if accepted, and if growth comes as a result, it's a productive... It's one of the most productive ways you can grow in your Christian faith and in your walk with God. Is when another believer says, you know what, Ty? I noticed this is going on. I've been praying for you, but we should talk about this. You say, well, pastor, I don't want those kind of people in in the church sitting next to me. Well, then this isn't the right church. Because the Bible's church, the church of the Bible, the church in the New Testament, that's what happened. Paul was writing letters and calling out names and saying, "Uh, you need to kick this guy out of the church because he's, mm -mm, no, that's not allowed. He was doing that and telling them, you need to handle this stuff. They were bringing lawsuits against people within the same church. And he says this, If you're going to judge angels, how will you be entrusted to do that if you can't settle this little, like my grandmother used to say, penny anything, this little petty argument within the church? Well, you hurt my feelings, so I'm leaving and going down the street. You know what? We'd be a lot better off if you'd stay here and get healthy. Pastor, you're preaching hard like you got problems in this church. Not right now, but you should listen to this message later. (laughs) Number three, we're to judge the world. I judge the world when it comes to my children. I judge the world when it comes to my device. I judge the world around me and I say, nope, we're not doing that. We're to do that according to scripture. All of this is in the Bible, I'm telling you. 
Go read what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7. The entirety of that. It's really important. It'll be helpful. And then Paul references this, that we are to judge angels in the future. Well, what angels? You might think, huh? How am I supposed to judge an angel? What am I supposed to do with that? If you really comprehensively look at Scripture, you'll know that there are angelic beings who have not done what is right and who need judgment, need judgment exercised towards them. And God says, we're all in this together. You're going to judge them with me. It's Heaven is a real place. And the new earth that we live on will be real. It's not just us floating around on a cloud. It will be real, the Bible says. And there will be stuff to do. Amen? Okay, so who are we to judge? We're to judge these people. And you say, well, how are we to judge them? By what standard? Start with the word of God. And stop with the word of God. I've talked about it recently with a friend of mine, uh, there are there are some churches that are really legalistic. You can't wear makeup. This is a, a lot of stuff is kind of sexist towards the ladies, and I'm sorry, ladies, for all the stuff you've been through. But you can go to a church somewhere here in Clinton, and I'm sure you can find people looking you up and down, saying, "Oh, you shouldn't wear pants. No women should wear pants in church. Oh, you have makeup on. You know that kind of thing." Listen, I'm sorry for the things that you've been judged according to others' standards, but what God's word says is be modest. Can I get a louder amen, ladies? Okay, so the, the point is this. Don't judge others by your standard and what you do in your life. Judge them by the word of God. And you should start with you being judged by the word of God. So how are we to judge? We're to judge according to the Bible, God's standard. We're to judge righteously. Jesus warns us in Matthew 7 verse 2, you will be judged with the judgment you pronounce on others, and with the measure you use, it'll be measured to you. So be careful and cautious when judging. Okay, that was free. That was free. Just important because it says that we're going to be in a place of rulership and reigning and judging. So we might as well start practicing it now and don't stop until we're done judging ourselves. Amen? Verse 7, go there with me. It says this, and when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations, this is it, that are at the four corners of the earth. The earth doesn't have four corners. Okay? It's hyperbolic to the ends of the earth, okay? That are at the four corners of the earth. Gog and Magog. Now, I could do a 12-part series on these two names. We're not doing that today. We'll do that at some point, but not today. I'm sorry if you're really disappointed. To gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. In other words, it was an innumerable host. A lot of, a lot of people and entities. Verse 9, and they marched up over the broad plain of the earth. Okay, listen to me. The earth is not a plain. It has a lot of mountains on it. Again, hyperbolic, okay? They marched over the earth to come to surround the camp of the saints and the beloved city. What beloved city is being referred to here, if you're unfamiliar with this, it is what we know in Scripture as the New Jerusalem. It's not the current city that's being 
that's under attack right now, that's here on the earth. It is the new Jerusalem where the believers will be camped. But fire came down from heaven and consumed the enemies. Verse 10, And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Satan will rile up the nations in one final climactic, seemingly climactic battle where he will get them all to come against God one last time. But he's still, he's so stupid. He still believes he has a chance. He still believes he has a chance. He'll instigate that war. And as they approach God, God will annihilate, get rid of, destroy them and remove their influence. It's amazing when you think about it. And God's forever kingdom will truly be in its foreverness. Amen? So he'll inspire them to band together to go against God, but he's going to suffer a final defeat. Remember what I said earlier in this series, that Revelation cannot be read solely. Listen to my, my specific word choice cannot be read solely in a linear fashion because there's repurposing even of what John is seeing. He's seeing different dynamics and he's pulling it out because you're like, pastor, but God already defeated the devil like three chapters ago. Yes, and John is seeing different things that resulted from that and he's putting them all out there for us. The main point is this, go and tell someone about the God who loves you and that you have found that you love. The one and only true God. That's really what this is all about. Because God's a family man. He wants to enlarge that family. And we, ha- we get to, we get to have a role in that. I remember growing up and, um, I've used this myself. You know, you think about the things that your parents tell you and you're like, I'm never going to be like that. <laughs> and then you, you know, go to lay down and close your eyes at the end of a day and you think, I am just like my father (laughs) or I am just like my mother and I'm doing all those things I said I wouldn't do, but you know what? They, they prove useful. (laughs) Amen. But I say that to say, my dad used to say when I would say I would complain and I know that's surprising, um, that I would complain about having to do something, but he would, you know, can you take out the trash? Can you this, can you that? And I'd be like, do I have to right now? Like I'm, I'm studying, trying to get A's on my test. You know, do I have to? I'm playing a game. I'm watching a show, whatever it was. And he would say something which I thought was idiotic then, but I use it today, which is you don't have to, you get to. And I thought in my adulthood and my understanding of psychology, that's called manipulation. But you know what? It's, it's okay. Because it actually helped me understand, like I have a role to play. You say, well, pastor, why are you sharing that part of your life story today? Because I'm telling you, if you look at it like I have to share my faith, then it's not going to be productive. But if you look at it like you get to be part of this amazing story and you get to share your faith with others and you get to be a light in the world, it'll change your way that you think about everything in your life. 
Would you stand with me today? You don't have to, you get to be part of this story. Some of you who don't practice saying that, you're going to go home and say it to your kids, aren't you? It's good. Every week at the end of our service, we uh, have those who have been trained in prayer ministry that we ask if you'd step out, if you'll go ahead and do that. We want to pray for you. If you're here today and you're struggling and you say, Pastor, you know, thank you for the message today, but I've got some big stuff going on in my life that you didn't talk about and I really need prayer for that. We've got people who will help you and will pray with you today. We want to join you in prayer and and agree with you for God's will to be done. But I have a feeling that many of us If we allow the Holy Spirit to put his thumb on it today, we're probably not all that great about sharing our faith and living out the Great Commission. If that's you, would you just lift your hand up and say, I boldly admit I haven't. So don't just join in the song. Make it a point today. If you're in your seat, if you stay there, that's fine. If you go to receive prayer, that's fine. Make it a point to say, Jesus, would you forgive me for not playing my part in this story would you help me this week would you give me a little experience would you help me not be so shy would you help me fill in the blank whatever it is that's the first thing secondary thing is the thing about judgment and judging I'm very quick to say to you today if you have judged people and been a judgmental person you should get right with God. But if I just focused on that and not on this, we would all miss out. I think by the Holy Spirit's help, this week throughout this message, as I've been praying over it and studying, I think that there are people in this room today who have been hurt by someone who judged them. You may not even be able to go back to that person. It may happen. It may have happened a long time ago, but you've been victimized by someone who judged. And it could have been something even in the house of God, in the family of believers, or it could have been something just elsewhere in life. But I believe that God wants to set you free from that burden today. If you say, God, I need to forgive that person for having judged me. Then do that in prayer today. Commit to him and release that person from the hold that they've got in your mind, in your life. Maybe it's something that lasted a long time. You dealt with a judgmental parent or something of, of the nature like that. There's There are big heart issues in this room today. And I think this is one of the ones that God wants to take care of. He wants to help you start today fresh and new. Would you close your eyes? Father, I pray over Celebrate Church, whether it's the declaration of failing at the Great Commission and the the requesting of your help to be able to fulfill the Great Commission. God, whether it's a judgmental attitude that we hold individually towards others or whether it's a hurt that we've been holding on to because we have been judged wrongly. I pray today there'd be freedom in the house of God. 
I pray that as we step out to receive prayer and as we pray at our seats, Lord, that you would connect with us and Holy Spirit, that you would do a work that no man or woman could do. No psychologist, no therapist, no self-help book. God, I pray that freedom would be present in your presence today in this place. Help us to be those that go. Help us to be those that judge righteously and help us to be those that forgive those who have judged us wrongly. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray.